Well, hello to Grace City Church and to anybody else who might be joining us. My name is Rich Crosby. I'm the pastor at Grace City here in Ottawa. And uh, we started a new series on Sunday in the book of Exodus. Unfortunately, we had some technical challenges, which meant that the uh, normal sermon video that we would record at the Mayfair in Ottawa uh, isn't, uh, isn't available to us this week. Um, same with the audio. So I'm taking some time this week. Uh, to uh, re-record from home. So I'm in the downstairs room uh, at our house. This room is uh, everything from a, a, an occasional office uh, for myself and for my wife, also a playroom for the kids um, and anything else that this room ends up being. There's a drum kit actually over here uh, to the side. So lots of uses here, but this is where I am and this is where I'm going to uh, go through what I was able to teach with the church on Sunday. So uh, before I do that, uh, I, I do want to pray. Um, the, uh, the, the, the room might be different than what uh, we were in together just a few days ago, uh, but the uh, content uh, based on the Word of God, uh, I trust is the same. That's certainly my heart. And uh, I just want to ask for the Holy Spirit's help um, as I go through this, even if it's uh, in a bit of a different format. Uh, such as this. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are uh, a God of revelation, that you have chosen to reveal yourself uh, to your people. And uh, God, that's just such evidence of uh, of your grace and your mercy that you are so constant uh, with towards us. Uh, God, even right now, as uh, we go through this, I do pray that you would uh, guide my words, as we would ask every Sunday morning. I ask the very same thing right now, that you would guide my words and that this would uh, be fruitful for the kingdom of God, both here in Ottawa, where our church is located, uh, but really throughout the world, God, that many would come uh, to know you as the one true living God and a good, uh, kind and gracious Father. I just pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I pull my notes up here and I might be clicking back and forth a little bit. My apologies if you hear that uh, coming through uh, because of the laptop here in front of me. But um, let me start off by this. Let me let me ask you, have you ever felt in the Christian life, uh, have you ever felt as though you're trapped in something, like completely stuck and feeling really helpless in it or even hopeless? That, that might be for you as someone who is a follower of Jesus. Maybe you feel that way as someone who's not given your life to Jesus, but still you you get that, this feeling of, of hopelessness or being stuck in something. Or let me also ask you, have you ever felt like God has forgotten you or that you've had some sort of spiritual high in your relationship with God where you vowed that you're going to love him and, and worship him forever, only to launch back into the old ways within a few hours or maybe even a few days, and you've kind of shocked yourself at how quickly you've kind of gone back into that thing or those things. And uh, let me ask you this as well. Have you ever looked back on parts of your old life, uh, if you have a relationship with God, if you've looked back on parts of your old life and actually wished you could go back? Like I've actually had times where you've thought, I, I really miss that thing that I used to do. Well, these questions and these experiences, these things are all part of the Christian life. Uh, there are aspects of this that I think any follower of Jesus can relate to. If they're being honest, I, you know, there can be a temptation at times for us to feel like when we give our lives to Jesus and then have conversations with with other followers of Jesus that we say, no, I've, I've, I never have thought about my old life. I've 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 never stopped worshiping God since I gave my life to Jesus. If only it were that simple. The reality is that that isn't how it is for so many of us. 
And that's exactly why this sort of thing gets written about in the Bible. And this morning, or on Sunday morning, I should say, we started a series on the book of Exodus. And right out of the gate, we need to understand that the story in the book of Exodus is not just some ancient story that gets retold in Christian books or in preachers' sermons such as this or in the occasional Hollywood movie. This story is our story. We, we get to see ourselves in it, our weaknesses, our struggles, and our temptations, our failed attempts at saving ourselves. And in a word, we see our depravity. But that's not all we see in this story. We also get to see a redeemer, one who is appointed to set his people free, a liberator. And we're introduced to a God who is greater than all other gods and who works through his redeemer for the good of his people. So while this story is our story, this story is not ultimately about us. This story is about a greater redeemer. The story is about a greater liberator, and his name is Jesus. But before we look at the book of Exodus, we need to take a couple minutes to set Exodus in its scriptural context. So Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's the second book of the Jewish Pentateuch, Penta, that's five. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And of course, Exodus picks up where Genesis leaves off. Uh, Genesis is often spoken about as a book of beginnings, and it is certainly that. Uh, but Genesis also tells us uh, the beginning of the fall of humanity, uh, if you will, in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, but equally, Genesis uh, doesn't take long at all to show us uh, the actions of a God who is full of grace and mercy. In fact, only a few lines after we hear about Adam and Eve in the garden going their own way, attempting to be like gods themselves, uh, we read of the one true God taking an animal and killing that animal and using the skin of that animal uh, to hide the nakedness of Adam and Eve. Uh, Proto-Evangelum, it's called the first telling of the gospel. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful thing that it is that we see right there early in Genesis, a wonderful pointer uh, to Jesus Christ. So while Genesis is a book of beginnings, the central teaching of Genesis is God choosing a people unto himself through one man and through that one man, also his descendants and, and through him and through his offspring, offering saving grace to all who choose to receive it and who uh, take advantage of the way that God has made for people to be adopted into the family of God. Now, that's language that we tend to use today. Uh, we might even think that that is exclusive New Testament language, but that's actually not the case. Even in the Old Testament, even, even with Abraham and his uh, descendants, those who were not necessarily part of the nation of Israel or the Hebrew people, there were still ways that they could, even at that time, be grafted in and become part of of God's family. I've said a couple times, uh, the man that God speaks to there initially in Genesis chapter 12, his name is Abraham. In fact, when we first meet him, his name is Abram. God then changes it to Abraham. And I just want to read from Genesis 12 verses 1 to 4. So this is the call of God on Abram and what he's promising over him. It says this, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, the chapter before that, Genesis 11, it doesn't end with any preamble about how amazing Abram is or how deserving he is of God's blessing or of God choosing him. We're not told anything about Abram's character or even his relationship with God before God speaks to him. Nothing, not a thing. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is this, the point is that Abram and through Abram and also his descendants, Abram is chosen by God to be blessed. God chose Abram because God chose Abram. What's the basis of this choice? It's it's God's sovereign grace. And there's nothing that Abram has done to earn it or to deserve it. Scripture makes no reference to him being more deserving than any other of the 11 ancestors that are named in chapter 11 and the countless ancestors and relatives who are referred to, but who are not named. God chose Abram, who then is named Abraham, because God chose him. That's why. Now, Abraham is the central patriarch, not only of Christianity, but also of Judaism and Islam. And it's in Genesis that we learn of God making a promise, a covenant with Abraham that he will become a great nation. And that great nation, uh, other words that we use uh, to describe them, the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And it looks like things are heading in that direction towards greatness through much of the rest of the book of Genesis, which ends with the story, the amazing story of Joseph, the Hebrew who was sold by his brothers into slavery, but who ends up being the prime minister of Egypt and who rescues his own family in the process. And we might read that story and think, yes, it's happening. The thing that God spoke over Abram and his descendants in Genesis chapter 12, yeah, it's, it's happening. God's making a great nation out of Abraham's line. But Genesis ends with the death of Joseph. And the very last three words in Genesis actually are coffin in Egypt. So we're meant to go into Exodus asking, is God going to be true to his promise? Will God keep his word? Is, is he trustworthy? Is the God who we learn about in the very first book of the Bible, in fact, in the fourth word of the Bible, in the beginning God, is this God actually a covenant-keeping God? Is he a promise-keeping God? We're meant to go into Exodus with that question in mind. And Exodus provides the answer to that question. And that answer is a resounding yes. So while the central doctrine in in Genesis is election, the central doctrine in Exodus is redemption. The way through which God takes his elect people, his chosen people, and redeems them. Election being that God chooses and redemption being the way through which he saves. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this is because it can be easy to go through uh, Exodus and just come to the conclusion that, yeah, God is a God of freedom and he's compassionate towards those who suffer, uh, those who are in slavery, those who are in bondage, as the Hebrew people were um, at the beginning of Exodus. And that would be true. God is very much concerned with freedom. God's heart goes out in a unique way. We see this all throughout scripture towards those who are in bondage, towards those who are in slavery. God is a God of justice. He hates seeing those things, absolutely deplores it. However, it's not just that God is a God of freedom. That's not the only thing that we're to come to as we go through the Exodus story. It is also that God is a covenant-keeping God. 
And if we make this story only about freedom, and freedom is in there, and we're going to talk about that a lot throughout this series. I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But if we make it only about freedom, we miss that this is also about God being a covenant-keeping God. God keeps his promises. So what we're going to see in Exodus is that it's about far more than freedom from bondage, as wonderful as that is. The book of Exodus is where God reveals his name to his people, and also he reveals his character to his people. What we're also going to see is the character, though, of humanity. Uh, Not only the brutal oppression of the Hebrews at the hands of the Egyptians, but also the depravity of the Hebrew people themselves. And what we're going to see is that all of humanity is in desperate need of saving. And that saving work can only be carried out by God. Saving, and another word that we often use for that is salvation, has always been a work of grace. Always. It has always been a work of grace. And we're going to see that in these pages throughout Exodus time and time again. So we're going to see throughout this story that this story is indeed our story. And I want to go through a few quick bullet points here that kind of highlight this. Israel in Egypt is us before being saved by grace through faith. Egypt symbolizes the world in which we live. Pharaoh symbolizes the devil who in the end is overthrown by God. Uh, I should point out that when I say symbolize, in no way am I trying to suggest that the story of Exodus is just written to teach us some moral lessons, but it's not actually a true historical story. It absolutely is. This happened. Uh, But just to continue on, Israel's bondage at the hands of the Egyptians shows us our bondage in sin before being saved by God. Their bondage is cruel, and so is ours. The groaning of the Israelites illustrates our groaning under the weight of our sin, our longing for mercy, our longing to be set free from our captors. Now, I've not said much or anything, I don't think yet, about Moses, uh, the one appointed by God to deliver his people who are enslaved in Egypt. And of course, Moses points to the greater deliverer, indeed, the great deliverer, Jesus Christ himself. The Passover night that we're going to read about uh, later on in this series in Exodus The Passover night tells of the protection given to all who believe and place themselves under the blood of the the sacrificial lamb. God's judgment passes over them. The exodus from Egypt and exodus uh, translated literally means the road out. So the exodus from Egypt shows us our road out of the trappings of sin in our world. The crossing of the Red Sea with the waters separating and the Hebrew people going down and then rising up. That is meant to point us towards our baptism with Jesus, being joined to him in his death and in his resurrection. And when I was preaching this on Sunday, I asked the congregation the question, have you been baptized? Jesus calls for his followers to be baptized. We, we need to take that call seriously uh, because this is this is not only part of the Christian life, this is part of the Exodus story itself, and we're going to see that in these pages. Uh, The wilderness, the trials and testing of the faith of the Israelites, them complaining against God, them falling on their knees then, and worshiping God, and then forgetting God, and then worshiping God. Again, I've said it a few times already, this story is our story, isn't it? But through it all, God fathers them with such grace and such mercy Uh, provision from heaven, even as God disciplines them to draw them back to himself, which is the safest and most life-giving place that they could ever be. God does it all perfectly. 
And again, this is meant to draw us to things in our own life. Yeah, even including discipline. Even when God corrects us, he does it as a loving father wanting good for us. Loving us so much that he's not just going to want to leave us to, to, to go on our own way and just, and just go off cliffs on our own. He wants to intervene and, uh, and, and, and draw us back, win us back to himself. And then finally, the tabernacle. We're going to read about that in Exodus, the place where the glory of God dwells among his people. Doesn't this show us Jesus? Uh, we read in Colossians chapter 1, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, in Jesus. Then in Exodus, it's in a tabernacle. Today, it's in Jesus and through Jesus and his spirit, it's in the church. It's in the people of God today. The church through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit we see that in Exodus. We see it today in the life of the church. And in Exodus, it's with the Israelites, the Hebrew people. Today, it's the family of God, not defined by one nation on earth, but still defined by a people. But rather than an ethnicity, the people today is the church, the church of Jesus Christ. So, yes, this is our story. Uh, but this story is a story of redemption that is ultimately a story about a redeemer. And again, I'm not referring to Moses, I'm referring to Jesus Christ. This is key that we go, uh, that we understand this as we go through this series. It is all about Jesus. Now that's not me trying to jump on some sort of modern preaching bandwagon and, and kind of use a, a popular expression. It's all about Jesus. This story, Exodus, genuinely is all about Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, we read about Jesus appearing to two of his followers on the same day, actually, that he was raised to life. Now, those two followers of Jesus, they don't recognize Jesus at first. We read in verse 15 of Luke 24 that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, and he asked them what they're talking about. And they said, don't you know everything has happened in Jerusalem over the past few days? They're, they're surprised that this person, we know it's Jesus reading Luke 24, but they don't know that it's Jesus. They're surprised that they're even being asked that. They're like everybody is talking about this. Don't, don't you know what's been happening in Jerusalem over these past few days? And then these two followers of Jesus, it's almost funny. They start witnessing to Jesus about Jesus. <laughs> and then Jesus speaks in verses uh, 25 to 27. Uh, we read that he said to them, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And did you hear that? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That's that, the, that, that reference to Moses is interchangeable with the Pentateuch, with the first five books of of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, which we're going to be in, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But here's the thing. We know that Jesus is speaking about himself, but the two that Jesus is speaking to, again, they don't know that it's Jesus that they are speaking with. They just think it's some random person telling them, hey, these, these, these books, these books of Moses and all the prophets, they're about him. They're about this Jesus. Why is it that they don't know that it's actually Jesus who's appeared to them? And is teaching them these things. Why is it? Well, we have to keep reading in Luke 24 to answer that question. So in verse 28, it says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, 
and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and he was at table with them. He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Two key things here. Firstly, even though they didn't recognize that it was Jesus, the very fact that they were helped to see that all scripture, including Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all of the books of the prophets were ultimately about Jesus. What do they say about that? They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? What they're saying is that gave them hope. They didn't even know that it was Jesus that they were speaking to, but still being helped to see Jesus on those pages gave them hope. And the second thing is they only knew they were with Jesus when their eyes were opened. They only knew they were with Jesus when their eyes were opened. And when was it that their eyes were opened? When was it that they realized this is Jesus who's talking with us? This is Jesus who's with us. They realized it when he broke bread with them. They realized it during communion. And I was able to say on Sunday uh, to the church that was gathered, I was able to say my prayer for us as a church as we go through this series is these two things. Firstly, that as we look at this and as we see Jesus on every page of of this story and, and, and throughout the life of our church, as we see Jesus on every page of scripture, that that would stir hope inside of us. And secondly, that our eyes would be opened to see him. And I do think that these uh, that this story in Luke chapter 24 tells us that there's something particularly unique about communion as a spiritual event that repeatedly opens our eyes to seeing Jesus. As we take the bread and as we take the wine, the bread representing Jesus's body broken for us, the wine representing his blood being poured out for the forgiveness of sin. So as we go through this story in Exodus over the coming months, those are the two things that I'm praying for us as a church, because Jesus is all over the pages of this story. And I want to end by telling you how Jesus is the greater Moses. This story is not ultimately about Moses. It's not ultimately about the Israelites. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus, the greater Moses. Moses was born in a hut and lived in a palace. Jesus existed with the Father in the glories of heaven and entered our world by being born in a stable. Moses was raised as an Egyptian prince, enjoying unlimited wealth. Jesus left the glory of heaven, entered into our world, and had nowhere to lay his head, as he says himself in Luke chapter 9. Moses was a leader, the leader, of the armies of Israel. Jesus is the leader of the armies of heaven. Yet on the cross, he did not call down those armies of angels to save him. Moses was educated in the courts of Pharaoh and then dwelt in the desert. In Jesus, all the fullness of God, including the wisdom of God, was pleased to dwell. Yet Jesus submitted himself to the desert to be tested as the second Adam, and in doing so proved himself faithful where Adam was not. Moses had a speech impediment, yet he talked with God. Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him. We read in Isaiah 53, Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. Yet he is God. 
Moses was the giver of the law and the forerunner of grace. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and our means of grace. Jewish tradition declares Moses the greatest prophet who ever lived. But Jesus, we read in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And finally, Moses died on Mount Moab and was buried by God. Jesus died on Mount Calvary and was buried by men, but he did not stay in the grave, did he? He was raised to life three days later, and right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, including over your life, including over mine. No matter what you feel right now in your life, maybe is spiraling out of control. Maybe the past two or three years have cost you in some particular ways, and you feel forgotten by God because things haven't gotten ha- haven't gone according to plan. Look, I get it. It's it's been a challenging time. It's been a time I was I was watching a comedian on Netflix recently who himself said, "Look, didn't the pandemic uh, teach us that we're not fully in control?" I thought, "Yeah, you you've nailed it." There's another way to say that. The pandemic showed us we are not God. We are not God, but there is a God who is in control, who is fully in control. And we're going to see that throughout this story. There are going to be times in this story that we're going to look at where the Hebrew people, where they are crying out, basically saying, God, you don't have us in this. This is beyond your power. Or maybe it's not beyond your power, but you just don't seem to care. Again, things that we can so often feel in the Christian life. We're going to see ourselves on these pages. But again, far more than that, the story is not about us. It's about the great Redeemer. Jesus Christ. And we're going to see him as well. Hope that you'll join us uh, through this series. We'll do our best to get the, uh, the sermons online as soon as we can. And I'm excited for all that God's going to do in the life of our church as we go through this wonderful story where time and time again, we will see the, the kindness, the grace, and the mercy of our God.